Hello ladies and gentlemen I'm Kumara Raghavendra and welcome to another episode of Product Stories This is a podcast where I cover topics relating to product management design technology and business with experts in the industry from across the globe Today's guest Ziad Barbara is a dear friend of mine we work together at Kareem which is the super app of the MENA region it provides ride hailing food and grocery delivery as well as digital payment services Kareem was acquired by Uber in early 2019 and continues to operate independently as a fully owned subsidiary of Uber Ziad is a product leader in the company working on the suite of products targeted at the supply side of Kareem or as they call them fondly and respectfully captains I've learned a lot from him while working with him and I hope what we talk about today can help you learn from his experience as well. So welcome to the show Ziad and uh, how are you doing today? Hey Kumara, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm doing great. How about you? Good as well. I wanted to start with the reference to the captain that we have at Kareem. So all ride hailing companies across the world call their drivers drivers. uh while kareem has chosen to give them the more respectful title of captain could you talk about the or- origin of this firstly and uh, what impact if any this has had on how you build products for captains and how you look at this particular user base yeah it's a it's a good question uh i think uh calling our drivers captains was even before i i joined the company so very early on uh our founders um they realized that you know the the, the captains are the backbone of this uh, of this business uh, they are the ones who are, who are providing the service and uh, the quality of the service that they provide uh, will reflect uh, uh, the quality of your of your product and um and they also try to understand a bit uh, what are the few things that uh, the captains value the most um, in this region and it turned out to to be two major themes one is obviously they're here to to make money and earn a decent living and the second was uh, feeling valued and we wanted to make that a very big part of our culture at Kareem so we decided to call them captains and captains is uh, uh, you know you're the captain of a ship or a captain of a of an airplane so you're uh, you're your own boss you're empowered you work for yourself you take the decisions of uh, where you work when to work and um, and it's also a sign of respect when you call someone a captain so when they come to our offices in every interaction we call them captains and this is something that they value very much and they is something that they bring up the the respect and it translates into all the interactions that we have whether colleagues care agents uh, anyone who interacts with the captain that that uh, value is now a big part of uh, the way we we treat the captain fantastic so it it's actually quite interesting that we when we talk about branding we talk about branding for a company or the product itself but branding can go a long way when we actually talk about how we speak of users and what brand we associate with them and how we treat and respect our user base so this is a great example of that uh Absolutely. so shifting gears to how how you've been at kareem it's been a, a good long time for you now and you've been there when it started off as a small when it was a much smaller company than what it is now and you've seen it grow in size you've seen it grow in revenues you've seen it being acquired by uber now it's uh, one of the biggest tech companies in the region 
So how has this whole transition been for you? What have you learned during this time? And how has your approach to building products changed over this time? Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's been a, it's been a long journey. Uh, I've been I've been at Kareem for uh, for more than four years now. Uh, four years and like it's considered a long time in in any company. And when you're talking about a fast growing startup like Kareem, it uh, definitely feels like a like a lifetime. Uh, now, to 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 be to be honest, many things have changed. Uh, as you can imagine, in the early days. It used to be all about hustling, uh, speed to market. How fast can you ship out and put products in the hands of the customers or the captains? It used to be more focused about growth, growth at all costs. And it used to cost us a lot of money also to to grow, like all the other ride-hailing firms. Um, we didn't have a very structured or common way uh, to building product. The tech stack was uh, probably not the greatest. We used to often we used to often uh, hack uh, our way uh, around. Uh, we were short on resources. I mean, it's very these are very common topics in any early stage startup. Uh, as the company grew, um, we definitely became a lot more structured in the way we do things. Uh, we invested a lot in scaling our product in, in making sure we're able to to provide a reliable service and uh, a consistent experience to our customers and, and captains. Um, today we're part of Uber. Um, and one of the greatest things about this, this acquisition is that Karim is still completely independent. We're an independent company. We, we're an independent brand. Uh, we have our own strategy. We operate completely autonomously. Uh, that being said, you, I mean, you're part of a listed, uh, a listed company. So there are a few things that change, but these are very minor, uh, minor details. So when you're doing any major change to your product, launching a, a, a big feature, you just have, there are small checks to make sure that, you know, you're not uh, exposing our parent companies, uh, our parent company, sorry, to legal and tax or brand issues. Um, but uh, but I have to say that Uber is also also understand that uh, our agility is one of our major assets. So they they try to minimize uh, all these uh, checks and um, and uh, additional processes so that we they don't have any impact on on our velocity. Um, so all in all, it's it's been a long journey. Uh, definitely, it's a different company now, but. Uh, don't get me wrong. We're still we're still a startup in uh, in spirit. We still do a lot of hustling. We still uh, take a lot of risks, but uh, but these risks are a bit more calculated today. Absolutely. Um, you, yeah. You, uh, mentioned that there's been a lot of structural, not a lot. At least there's been structural change when it compares to the older days versus how things are operating now. So could you talk through maybe a bit about how you've seen uh, this structural change affect product work and has there been anything specific that you think has been impacted positively or something that's been a challenge to work in uh, as the company has grown larger? Yeah, I mean, see, the, the main thing that changes um, as the company is scaling is um, how much processes you have. In the early days, you basically don't have any processes, right? Uh, the last thing you want to do is try to put the checkpoints and uh, go, no go meetings and uh, people reviewing every single step of the way 
and uh, investing a lot in documentation because uh, uh, you want to put uh, you want to put products out there you want to test them as fast as you can and you want to learn you want to iterate and uh, honestly the, the the risk even of failing when when you're in the early stages is very different from from where we are now uh, now you cannot afford to to put a product that uh, you know that's buggy out there that breaks that uh, uh, puts at risk the brand, uh, risks damaging the, the brand that we have, or even legal or tax uh, or, or, or tax issues you might encounter now because you're such a big company, people have their eyes on you and uh, they, they're waiting for you to, to have some sort of, of failure to jump on it. So it's just that, it's just that the speed, the speed has changed. Uh, now, for me at a personal level, um, main takeaway is, is that... Um, when you join an early startup, um, the most important skill probably that you you need to have is uh, adaptability. You have to be able to adjust to new conditions. Uh, you have to be open to learning because if you don't, uh, you can very quickly become uh, redundant and uh, given how fast the, the roles change. So it's great to join an early startup, uh, but the skill set required at an early stage is very different from the skill sets required now. So if people want to stay on, on board, they need to, to adapt really quickly and, and be open to changing the, the way we do things. So this would mean the kind of profiles of people you'd be looking to hire for within the team would also have changed over this period of time. Absolutely, absolutely. It's um, um, at, in, in the early days, you're looking for people who really hustling and, uh, and uh, the, the motivation or the drive to, to grow a company and putting, uh, putting incredible amount of, of effort and being on ground close to people uh, is the skill set that, uh, that you want. And now you need the people to do a bit more thinking uh, to cover all the, all the edges before rolling out the product. Uh, you need people who have experience in, in these areas because the complexity increased, right? Your, um, the low hanging fruits you you uh, basically uncovered most of them. And now if you want to do, uh, if you want to make a dent in any of the KPIs that you have, you really need to go deep and, uh, and involve uh, a lot more complex techniques to, to make a difference. Right. So uh, when you look at the industry itself over the past 10 years, maybe 10 years ago, anywhere in the world, there was no such service available. Uber was probably just starting out somewhere in San Francisco. The rest of the yeah. world hadn't even heard of this kind of a service or thought it was possible. But the entire decade has really transformed the industry to such an extent that now this is commonplace. Wherever you go in the world, you have some ride-hailing app that you can look to. So given this is such a big change that has happened over the last decade, where do you see this headed in the next few years? And what does the next day, decade look like for the industry? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Um, see, my view at the highest level is that as you said, ride hailing is not going anywhere. It's uh, it's part of the day-to-day -day of millions of people around the globe uh, to an extent that uh, now people take it for granted that you can order a car anytime and it will reach you within three to five minutes. I mean, that was absolutely not the case uh, 10 years ago. Um, that being said, the, the current ride hailing product, uh, products out there are only addressing the needs of still the minority of the population. When you think of uh, mobility of people, the majority of the traffic is, is people commuting from 
from home to office, from home to school, from home to university, etc. So the commuters is the largest segment. And um, out of that segment, the penetration of ride-hailing company is still, still very low. Um, so I expect a lot of focus to be in that space in the next few years. Uh, and this can mean uh, different things in, this, in different markets. It can mean uh, onboarding public transportation to the ride-hailing uh, apps, which, which we started seeing in Europe. Uh, in the US as well. Uh, this can mean figuring out how to do uh, multi-model transport, um, which basically uh, which basically is just helping people go from point A to point D, to point B, sorry, but while using two or more modes of transport. It uh, could be a bike and a car, a scooter, a train, etc. So multi-model is gonna be also a big, uh, a big evolution in the ride-hailing industry. In our region specifically, the, the answer might be uh, slightly different um, because public and mass transport is almost non-existent here. So while in Europe and in the Western countries, you're looking to how to onboard them on the ride dating app, in our countries, they're either non-existent or unreliable slash unsafe. So it becomes part of the mission uh, of the ride-hailing firms here to, to create this network. This is why, for example, you see Uber um, decided to launch their first bus product in Egypt. Um, and few other startups have also entered this space in the, in the last couple of years. So yeah, in this region, it's a, it's a combination of uh, investing in mass transportation and uh, a multi multimodal uh, type of approach to moving uh, moving people around. Sounds exciting. So uh, looking at this transition and this growth, it was headed in a certain direction. The trajectories were looking great until maybe March around the time frame when the pandemic came into play, when a lot of people were even not even going out. So which uh, naturally affected the ride hailing industry as well, like it has affected many others. So dur during this time frame. Karim has still continued to do well. It has still uh, continued to focus on the vision that it had. But uh, from a day-to-day -day perspective and from a product roadmap and thinking of what to build perspective, how has the pandemic impacted your work and how have you been thinking about products to build during this time frame? Yeah, I mean, see, no one, no one could have anticipated the pandemic and no one was prepared to to uh, something like that happening. Um, ride hailing, as you know, is one of the industries that were impacted the most in this pandemic, uh, along probably with, I don't know, travel, hospitality, a few others. Uh, we actually watched our business uh, shrink by almost 90% at the peak of the lockdowns. So it was obvious that uh, to us that the impact of this of the of this pandemic will will last for at least you know six months to a year. That if we were optimistic at the start, people were saying, yeah, it will take I don't know six months to find the vaccine, a year for it to be available. So we knew that at least we had a year of of impact of COVID impact, uh, which meant that we needed to pivot. Uh, you know, um, in one of the in one of the all hands. Um, our CEO shared a, a quote from uh, Charles Darwin that basically says something around, you know, it's not the strongest or the most intelligent species that survive. It's the one that adapts the most or something around that line, these lines, sorry. Yeah. So, uh, so we looked at our company goals and we looked at our roadmap and basically most of them were irrelevant in this new reality. Uh, 
the the, the one thing that was uh, emerged as as a blessing for us in the middle of all of that is that we had our delivery business. It was it was very small at the time, but we knew that deliveries were uh, were gonna be uh, in in high demand, and we um, so we kind of pivoted big time to to support that business and to make sure that we are able to to serve on the on the wave of uh, of deliveries right. that uh, yeah sorry so that that being said we we know that uh, fortunately this pandemic will will also uh, end one day so we also had to to strike a balance between you know how much you pivot and how much you put on the on the short term which is you know, three to six months, uh, the deliveries and trying to to improve and scale this product. And also, uh, how do you protect these these big bets that uh, that you need to invest in uh, and that will uh, probably uh, bear their fruits in in the next year or even uh, beyond that? So we kind of uh, we kind of had to strike a balance between saying, okay, anything that is short term on deliveries, but make sure that. Uh, uh, protect these big bets because one day this pandemic is going to end and we have to be ready for the next phase of uh, of growth. Right. So th- that's from a more uh, strategic perspective how the company should look at things, how, how you would probably look at the product itself. Uh, but more from a people and team perspective, you're a leader within the company. You lead uh, product teams as well as uh, not just product managers, but as well as the entire product teams. So how has it uh, been or what have been some challenges in conveying this sort of a message to the entire team and keeping everyone rallied against a changing mission in this way. Yeah, see, uh, I mean, when the, when the impact is that big, when, when people see that 90% of the, of the business is impacted, um, it, was, it was more or less for companies uh, that don't have, uh, I mean, a lot of cash in the bank. It was a matter of survival. Uh, we knew that uh, with our top line being reduced to 10% of where it was, uh, we cannot survive uh, for a long time unless we do something different. Unfortunately, that also meant that we had to take tough decisions when it comes to reducing the, the workforce and uh, we, had to, um, we had to let go of, uh, of uh, a, a significant number of, uh, of our colleagues. But that also meant that we had to, to, we had to pivot and we had to make sure that uh, we can help Karim survive so that... Uh, Karim's future and the future of all its um, of all the colleagues at Karim is uh, is protected. So from that perspective, I think everyone was uh, was very open. Everyone was trying uh, their best to figure out ways either to uh, to save costs because saving costs was uh, was one of the biggest uh, priorities, or to help the delivery business grow and uh, you know help the top line recover as fast as as we could. So um, yeah, I must say that I mean the early, it was it was a difficult uh, it was a difficult time, but Karim has also a culture of being very open and very transparent with the colleagues. So everybody understood the gravity of the situation. So I don't think it was uh, that much of a problem to communicate the message and for, to rally people against this uh, this new reality. Right. And du- during this time frame, uh, there has been another major change, which is how we end up working as a team, working in terms of where we work, the office that we go to and so on. And Karim, like pretty much every other company, was forced to work remotely for a duration of time. 
However, Karim has taken the lead in actually saying we want to do this over a longer period of time and has recently announced a permanent move to work remotely and or at least providing the option for the employees to work remotely on a permanent basis. How does, uh, what do you think led to the decision or uh, how do you see this changing some of the work practices that have been, or is it just a natural transition from where it was? Yeah, see, uh, Karim in somehow was, uh, was more prepared uh, to working remotely because of the, because of the fact that we're, we're split across multiple countries. Even the tech team is split in uh, between Berlin, Dubai, and uh, and Karachi in Pakistan. Uh, so working and having meetings on on Zoom and working uh, collaborating on Slack was something that we we anyways are used to doing. Now, obviously, with COVID, this uh, this uh, became hundred percent of uh, of our meetings and hundred percent of our interactions. And that definitely impacted people who used to work in, in, in the same location. Um, to be honest, at the start, you know, people, it was a, it was a learning. Uh, people had, like, it took us a few weeks to, to adapt. Uh, I remember at the start, uh, we were having so many meetings. I used to have days with 14 and 16 meetings where people wanted to compensate the lack of, uh, you know, physical interaction by adding more meetings. And then as, as, as people adapted to this new reality, um, our people team did, uh, did uh, uh, conducted a big exercise of figuring out how has um, our productivity uh, changed? How our colleagues in the different geographies, um, they, felt, they felt more connected or at par with each other because now all of a sudden everybody's remote, not only the, the only colleague who's working from Berlin or et cetera. Uh, it it turns it turns out that uh, you know the, the given that we didn't have to commute to the office that freed up uh, a lot of time to for, for people to to work more or to do something else and definitely uh, people felt a lot of uh, flexibility in managing their personal versus uh, professional life. Um, so given all these um, giving these all these inputs the the company took a, a bold decision to to extend this uh, working remotely to, to to on a permanent basis uh, now doing that uh, we obviously put some principles in place to make sure that you know uh, uh, one we're um, uh, we're we're efficient while doing that uh, we wanted also one of the main things that was highlighted is um, is that people uh, were missing the the interaction or the social interaction that you know when you're working remotely all the time you just jump from one meeting to the other and there's no no chit chat you don't go to lunch with someone you don't talk about things that are outside of work uh, for new joiners also it was really tough because they didn't know the people so you just join and you you start a meeting and you don't even know who's uh, Who's that person on the other end of the meeting? What do like? What do they? What do they do outside of live? Do etc. Uh, etc. Et so part of the principles that we put in place was that we had to go to the office one day a week. Um, you cannot travel, you know, uh, across the globe all, all year long because for 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 tax and uh, and uh, legal uh, considerations, um, we will always have offices. 
offices will always be open for people to go there. If you need to call, collaborate, have a workshop, have, have a meeting where you, you feel that being uh, physically uh, together will, will increase productivity. And, and one of the main principles is that we have to iterate, right? We're going to keep learning and we come up with new things that will improve the way we do, we do remote working. Uh, but this is, this is I, I would say, the, the main, the main um, driver to all of this is part of the culture and the values of Karim is that we, we consider everybody to be an owner. And uh, it's, just, it's just about trusting that uh, irrespective of the person is in front of you or not, uh, you, you're confident that that person is doing the best uh, for, for, uh, for Karim and you trust him because, he's, uh, because everyone is an owner again. So yeah, this culture of trust and ownership uh, led to making this decision or taking this decision was a bit easier, I would say. Yeah, great, great points there. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned is the onboarding experience for new people joining in such a scenario. Uh, I, I myself have been through that and it's not an easy thing at all. Uh, how has it been for you onboarding new people into the team and what are some of the things that you consider would be useful that other people hiring during this time can also potentially look to? Yeah, so uh, f first of all, we have a, you know, we have a common onboarding, uh, onboarding week uh, at Karim where, you know, people are onboarded to, uh, to Karim overall before uh, the team onboarding starts. So that onboarding shifted to remote and people who used to give presentation, they're giving them remotely, et cetera. So everyone onboarding across the globe uh, in the Karim locations will, will attend the same onboarding. So that makes it a bit easier. So you're not on your own watching videos, et cetera. The onboarding is interactive and it's, it's remote. Now, when it comes to onboarding people in the, in the team, um, yeah, you definitely have to spend a lot of time. So you, there are in the, in the first few days, uh, there are a lot of meetings that you put with the, with the new joiner. If it's possible, and this is something that because I, I recently onboarded also a colleague, if it's possible, uh, you try to um, to meet in person. Uh, I mean, depending if the lockdowns allow it or not, but we also try to to meet in person. And then every time you uh, that person is in a meeting where you have new colleagues, we dedicate five or ten minutes just for people to introduce themselves uh, to to get to know the other person, and uh, and we encourage also setting up meetings that are non-work related, social meetings once a week where people can just get to know each other, talk about things that are outside of work and that will create this, this uh, bond that you need in order to, for people to work uh, better together and to be able to, to deliver better, better product and better, uh, better output. So yeah, I mean, it's not the, onboarding someone in remote condition is not the easiest thing but you have to dedicate some, some effort into making sure that you introduce that person to everyone. And a lot of uh, one-on-ones that uh, in the early weeks, just uh, to make sure that uh, all the answers are answered, uh, all the questions, sorry, are answered. Uh, so, yeah. Makes sense. So uh, one of the things that you touched upon earlier was how the roadmaps and product strategy essentially changed or uh, the approach was slightly different due to the pandemic, given the short term nature of it as well as uh, being able to react to it and at the same time not letting go of the longer term vision. That was uh, more on the product and strategy front. When it comes to people management and people growth, uh, does that have an impact during this time frame? Did, did some of the people on the team have to pick up new skill sets or 
did you have to help your team in any different way during the pandemic for their own personal growth or uh, was was it okay to transition during this period i mean uh, own personal growth i don't think it's uh, i don't think it's linked to to the to the pandemic i don't think uh, uh, you know personal growth when you're trying to to help someone it's usually long term you're talking about uh, what's the next step in their career what is the next skill set that you need to build what do you need to do to to be promoted to the next level etc so these things don't don't change uh, whether you're working remote or or not uh, what changes a bit is the is the day to day and you have to help the you have to help the teams in uh, in figuring out how to uh, get the same output while being uh, remote and that uh, like i could you i could give you a few examples in the in the product world uh, we we are we try to be uh, very customer centric at kareem so having regular focus groups with captains uh, user user testing sessions etc uh, is very is very common uh, now in the middle of this pandemic is very is very t- tough to do that so you would have to figure out tools uh, so we we bought so we we bought some some tool that will help you do remote user testing similarly if you're doing problem solving sessions like how do you problem solve you can use different tools that are out there also to help you do that uh, so it's it's more about just how do you how do you adapt and if there is a need to uh, to learn a new tool that will help you uh, in your day to day but in the in the personal growth in in the personal growth i don't think there's uh, there's any change to that uh, that's uh, that's a, that's a bit separate right and when it comes to your own time uh, like all pms i'm sure you're stretched as well and you mentioned when the transition happened you were doing 14 16 meetings a day uh, given the whole remote work setting now has any of your daily processes changed how do you man- uh, continue to manage your time uh, is it looking any different working remotely as compared to when you work at the office i mean definitely there are uh, there are advantages uh, for working uh, remotely because you simply have a bit a bit more time uh, you have a bit more time because you're you're not commuting you have a bit more time because um, in between meetings even if you have 5 or 10 minutes you can do something personal uh, you also take advantage of uh, if you have half an hour to have lunch you can you can spend a bit more time with your with your family etc so um, by by uh, by design you have a bit more time uh, f- for yourself uh, but uh, managing time is uh, like i would say you're the expert given that we have worked together in the in the past uh, i've honestly never seen someone uh, you know organize his days uh, in a better way maybe you should do a, a separate podcast on where you, you can you can share how you organize uh, how you organize your days for me it's always you know each one of us has his own small routine where things that you you're used to and they help you somehow be a bit more efficient uh, i can give a few examples uh, like i check my email only in the morning right uh, i don't i remove all notifications so that you're not distracted uh, throughout the day I block a couple of hours in the day for thinking time so they're blocked on my calendar and this is no meeting time so you can can concentrate a bit more 
uh, you try to schedule now in in the in the pandemic uh, in pandemic times you you try to schedule a bit more touch points with your teams to to problem solve because in the office very often when you're next to someone you ask a question etc and then there are these discussions that you don't want to miss out and if you don't have these regular meetings it becomes like impossible to find a slot in everyone's calendar as i said because you have all these meetings so you try to you know block time for for these interactions problem solvings uh, updating um, giving feedback on 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 things uh, user interviews uh, it just you need to be a bit more organized uh, because it can you can easily go into a routine where your calendar is full and you don't have time to do anything else although you have uh, you have more time in the day uh, but you also need to figure out a way to uh, separate the personal from uh, from from work uh, if we're at home all the time, it doesn't mean that you're available to work all the time. So also when this, when we move to remote, we defined working hours and you can only schedule meetings within these working hours because people felt that, uh, I mean, I'm working continuously and there's no, uh, people, people think that you're at home means you can, you're available to work. So, yeah, I think, uh, the pandemic, we had to adjust a bit. Uh, organizing my time, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm the, the 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 biggest expert, but I have uh, I have few things that uh, that help me uh, help me be a bit a bit more efficient. Yeah, really helpful. Uh, the demarcation of work and home, given we are spent home is the office now, is a very key point, and that's something a lot of people have been continue to struggle with as well. So that that's important to demarcate, and uh, especially the point about inorganic conversations, inorganic brainstorming. That's a challenge as well. A lot of teams continue to face this. I personally continue to face this as well. Uh, there are still yeah. good ideas to be. Most tried. of the time, most of the time, we go to these meetings where you know we don't have an agenda, right. but like five minutes into the meeting, you you just realize there are so many things to talk about, and you just need to trigger it and putting that meeting out there. And if if there's nothing if there's nothing to talk about, you just uh, end the meeting a, a bit earlier and then people can can use that uh, that time to do something else uh, but unless you have this time even if you decide that you want to problem solve something it's really harder now to find uh, to find the common slot uh, in the calendar so yeah putting it in advance helps a lot right definitely i'll try that out and uh, i i know uh, like me you do a lot of reading do a lot of consuming of uh, content around product with an aim to learn and improve our own ways of working. So, however, a lot of the advice that we come across is more or less centered around Silicon Valley and the Western world. Ha have you seen all of it being applicable as is? Have you seen some differences in, uh, given the ways of working, maybe slightly different in the in each region? Uh, have Have you seen any differences that you think worth highlighting? Yeah, see. Um, I would say at the, at the highest level, again, it's, it's not that different, right? Uh, at the end of the day, we are still building product. You need, uh, you need product managers, you need engineers, you need designers, data science, et cetera, to work together, to, to build, uh, to build a good, uh, high quality product. Um, the way we set up our teams and our processes are uh, naturally inspired by some of the best uh, tech companies in, in the Valley, uh, uh, given the head start that they have, uh, it's it's always better to to learn from the 
from the learnings and the mistakes that the other camp companies went through. So we're kind of organized, you know, in uh, in squads and tribes that are empowered and autonomous. We operate in in a completely agile way. Uh, so from that perspective, I think we're we're definitely inspired uh, inspired by uh, by the Western uh, Western way of, of doing things. Uh, what is slightly different in this uh, in this region is um, some of the things that you that we we thought to be the norm when you're living in Europe or in the in, in the US or in other countries uh, are, are are really different uh, in this region. I can give a few examples. Uh, you know, uh, credit card uh, penetration, uh, for example, is uh, uh, currently seventy or eighty percent of e-commerce orders are paid in cash in this region. Literacy rate is still uh, one of the lowest uh, across the across the globe, uh, especially in our in our captain population. Um, so while developing product, it's it's crucial uh, to, to understand some of these nuances. Uh, and the more you do, the more uh, competitive advantage you will have uh, you will have over competition. It's very important to be close to, to the captains. It's very important to invest time in discovery. It's very important to invest time in, um, in uh, usability testing and in, uh, in getting feedback from, from captains and, and building upon, upon what, uh, what they, they feel is, is their need. It's not about uh, looking what other companies are doing in different parts of the world and trying to replicate because a lot of times uh, these things don't work in, in this region. So I would say in terms of processes, they're, they're more or less the same, but you have to emphasize a bit more on a on few areas to adapt to, to the region and to, to, um, to the persona of, uh, of end users that, uh, that you have. Absolutely. So the demarcation of process versus what we actually build and how we look at the users is pretty important. And we need to be careful what we are borrowing and what needs to be customized for our use case. If there was... Uh, one thing that you would probably advise aspiring PMs or PM, existing product managers looking to do well in their role, what would it be? Yeah, interesting question. Uh, I would say the, the, if you're if you're starting off, and even if uh, if you're an experienced PM, the the one advice that I will give is to always start small. Uh, no matter how um, great you think your idea is or your solution is, start with an MVP, try to validate it, put it out there, get some learnings and iterate. You'd be surprised how many times a very, like I, I faced this so many times in my career where you, you might think that your idea is just brilliant and you're sure it's gonna work and it, it, you end up with completely unintuitive results. So yeah, my advice is just start small, learn as quickly as you can if you have to fail fail fast and iterate that's the that's the the biggest advice that uh, that i can give fantastic uh, thanks for the conversation and thanks again for coming on the show ziad if there's uh, any hiring message that you want to highlight or any open positions that you want to talk about that you're looking to hire for feel free to do so uh, otherwise it's been fantastic having you on the show Thank you. Thank you very much, Kumara, for, for having me. It's, uh, it was a great chat. Thanks for all the interesting questions. Um, yeah, hiring, I mean, uh, we, don't, we, we do have a lot of open positions. Now with Kareem moving, uh, being completely remote, we're also 
considering of uh, you know being able to hire from anywhere uh, that still uh, it still requires a bit of uh, legal uh, legal touches to it but that might uh, become the reality sometime soon so yeah keep an eye on the open positions and reach out if you see anything uh, that interests you and uh, we'll, ha- we'll be happy to start the hiring process perfect i'm going to link to your uh, linkedin profile so that if anyone wants to reach out they probably can absolutely thank you very much thanks if you enjoyed this podcast and think others could benefit from listening to it subscribe rate and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts it really does make a difference in spreading the word thank you and see you next time